what I love about it is that, you know, I get to be creative and express my my passion and express my what I've learned over the years and over the world and put into one plate for, for the customers. So even one by me that, that might be, you know, takes three minutes to put together, uh, is probably maybe about, you know, up to a week of preparation just to get that stage. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There are few things more satisfying than a humble sandwich. There are many iterations all over the globe of something special between two pieces of bread or wedged into a bun. The bun me is adored the world over. And thanks to the wonderful way our society has been built in Australia, with migrants arriving from all over the globe, the bun me has become an icon down under that rivals the prized sausage sanger. But what does it take to make a great bun me? DJ Lee is the owner of Le Vietnam in Perth, Western Australia. DJ, how are you? I'm very good. How are you, Anthony? Good. You've got a fascinating name, DJ Lee, and you happen to be a DJ. Um, but Barn Me is where um, your heart is at the moment. Um, what is it about Barn Me that captured you? Um, it's something that I grew up eating as a child. Like it's been around for for a long time. Um, and uh, it's something I grew eating and, and it, I just fell in love with it as I traveled the world. Well, tell us a little bit about that because you've created um, a bit of a name for yourself over in the West with what you're doing. Um, but you weren't always going to be in the food industry. Um, how, how did it all happen? So, oh, yeah. it's all started straight after high school. So went into uni, studied, double major degree, um, graduated got into a nine-to-five job and um, stuck in there for about two, three years and, and realized I didn't enjoy myself there, you know, sitting in front of the computer for 10 hours a day. Um, they, the days just dragged on. So I pretty much started to take a break and I said, you know, in order to have a, a happy life, you've got to enjoy what you do on a regular basis. So I traveled until I found myself, um, you know, DJed a bit, um, built a really good reputation on YouTube. So um, they flew me to different cities to, to play and headline shows and stuff like that. And, and uh, yeah, you know, at, at first I started, um, I turned it into a game where each city I went to, I had to just try Bind Me just, just for the sake of it, you know, like whether it was Sydney, Melbourne to um, Bali, Vietnam, Tokyo, Korea, um, Barcelona, Paris, Rome, Venice. I, I traveled like quite quite a bit, um, just doing shows and stuff like that. And and you know when I landed in Paris, um, that's when it blew me away off um, different varieties of bun mis. And I was like, man, like Perth has never had this type of bun before. Let's let's um let's bring it all back to Perth and give it a shot. Wow. <laughs> well, take us on that global trip. You know, what's some of the experiences that you had with bun mi uh, while you were traveling? So, when, when, when I was traveling, let's just say when um, I was uh, on my way to Barcelona, um, you know, I'll give the organizers a heads up. I'll go, okay, when we uh, land and, um, you know, obviously I'm going to be a bit hungry, um, can you pick some of your favorite bummy spots um, to just to duck into? And, and you know, they, they've got friends that are owners of certain shops and stuff like that. And um, they'll go, yeah, we'll, we'll come to this place and check it out. 
And because we're friends and stuff, or they're friends um, with the chefs and that, um, you know, we'll just talk and go, oh, yeah, how did you do this and how did you do that? And at that time, I didn't have an idea of anything about banh mi or, or opening a store or anything like that. I just gathered knowledge from what they told me on tips and tricks, like, you know, oh, when I cook this duck, I tend to do it like this. When I cook this lamb shoulder, I do it like that. And I just noted it down in, in my notepad just just so that I had it. So when I come back to Perth, I can just cook it at home or whatever. And then, you know, as I traveled, the more cities I went to, the more different bunnies I tried, um, the more excited I got and more curious I got. So, um, and next thing you know, I just wanted to dig in deeper on the knowledge of bunny. So landing, landing back in Paris, you know, that's where... Um, the, the French is the ultimate influence of um, the baguette, the pâté, the mayo, and, and that's where it originated from. So I had to learn how to make the pâté there, and I, I spent you know quite a few months in Paris um, and, and following, following the guys that, that did the bar over there. So there was three stores that I learned from, and, um, and they all had their own little vari variations, but at the same time, there was a lot of crossovers, and a lot of those crossovers that I learned were never done in Perth. And, you know, a lot of Perth places that when they did it, as me growing up, um, you know, you, you think that eating your bunny growing up like that is the old, that's the right way. But then you realize that, you know, the, the authenticity um, when you travel the world and you learn bits and pieces, you're like, wow, Perth has, there's, there's a few things missing that, that Perth needs to know about. So, you know, I took it all back and, 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 and here we are like eight years on and we're still pumping it out, you know. <laughs> Can you tell us about some of the examples of how different the barn meads have been, you know, whether it's Tokyo or Seoul or Barcelona? What, what's some of the really different ones that you've experienced? Um, in, in Tokyo, uh, the karagi chicken barn me, uh, you know, it's like a fried chicken nuggets uh, with a kupi mayo, uh, furikake sprinkled on top. And, you know, the, the richness of the fried chicken, the, the, the mayo, it balances out with the pickled carrots and and, you know, with the bread, every single city, every single country had their own different variations of bread. But when you want to come down to the real correct bread, like we went back to Vietnam to learn how to make the bread as well. And uh, it's, uh, how would I say that it's almost like a, like what Anthony Bourdain mentioned, it's a, it's a symphony in the sandwich. Like everything just balances quite well together, especially that light, airy, fluffy bread that that vessels the whole condiments together um also in um in seoul i had like um the you know kimchi is a really big thing in 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 korea um they tend to put kimchi on a lot of things so there was a bulgogi pork with kimchi banh mi that we had um that was that was blown away you know and and when we went it was in winter time so um Having you know the the spiciness that would just warm you up from the inside that was incredible, and people don't realize that you know like the weather also affects your your taste buds as well. Like if you it's really cold, you want to have something spicy to warm it up, and it, it just tastes ten times better. <laughs> is, is there any others that you can tell us about that um, are pretty wild and a really strange version of banh mi that that surprised you? Yeah, um, in Paris, I had uh, the lobster and prawn banh mi. It was a lobster and prawn tate. Wow. Uh, yeah, that, that was blown away. So it was um, confit in butter um, and it had chunks of lobster tail, prawn, and it was nice and served cold. 
And uh, yeah, I was very fortunate to get into the process of doing that. So I've featured the lobster and prawn bunny here at Love Vietnam um, quite a few times. It's, it's been one of our biggest hits. And because people know that, um, you know, I order bulk loads of lobster tail in. I, I do a live um, demonstration on, on Instagram and also like, you know, let people show, hey man, this is what I'm doing right now. So you can make it at home if you want, or you can come through and grab uh, lobster and prawn by me. You mentioned you went to Vietnam to learn how to make the the right bread. Take us back there. What was? Do you have any stories from that experience? Yeah. yeah so we went um, about three, four years ago. Me and my wife. Yeah. Um, and we travelled from north to the middle to the. Um, wait. Sorry. We travelled from the south to the middle to the north and right up to the north of Sapa as well. So up into the mountains. And uh, throughout each city, we also um, developed a, a game where we'll try different banmis at each stop. Um, in Vietnam, it's very convenient. You can find banmi in every single corner of the, the, the city. You can, um, you know, if you can't find it, you ask locals and they'll direct you to the spot. Um, we smashed over about 40 different banmis to try them and, it's, um, and documented each one. It, it's funny because I really wanted to educate the crowd that, um, you know, I do see people on, um, you know, on, online and stuff like that, where they'll say, you know, it's not a bun me without the pickle. It's not a bun me without the coriander or there's not a bun me without the pate. Um, truthfully, it is a bun me regardless because in different cities, different um, suburbs, they all have their own different variations. They, some places don't even have the pickle. Some places don't even use the pate. Um, you know, like you just say, for example, in Hoi An, the, the, one of the most famous cities in, in Vietnam where Anthony Bourdain tried the banh mi, um, they specialize in grilled, grilled meats. So there's no cold cuts or anything like that. Whereas, you know, in the southern side, um, it's, uh, they've got the cold cuts as well as the northern side. They've got different cold cuts because there's more French influence up on the northern end. And they've got the pâté and stuff like that up there as well. And, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's the, the beauty of the banh mi. Banh mi translates to bread. And uh, it's basically whatever you want to put into the bread roll is considered a banh mi. And, uh, you know, going back into the Hoi An stage, um, where Anthony Bourdain had, so it's called Bun Mi Phuong, very, very worldwide well-known. And um, we spoke to them about, you know, on their take and showed us how Anthony Bourdain had his Bun Mi. So we documented that. Then they, um, you know, we built a really good relationship where they took us to their bakery as well. They go, this is where we bake our bread and, you know, wake up early in the morning, come tomorrow and, and we'll show you the whole process. And, and you know, it's it's next level. So what we learned is they're, they're willing to share because we just had the passion of banh mi. Like both sides had the the passion of, you know, serving banh mi to the crowd. So they just wanted to share their stories and we share our stories. And it was very um a next level connection. You mentioned of the influence of France and the time that you spent there. Um, what, what do you take away from that time? Do you have any stories of that period and and what impact it had? Yeah, in France, so. I remember before the show that, that night, um, I was sitting in the hotel. Um, I was just resting up for the show. And um, at that point, I was feeling a quite, quite a bit lonely. Um, one is because a lot of my, I've been away from Perth for a few months already. Um, talking to family and friends on a regular was very rare because I'll send them messages like on Facebook or Instagram, and um, you know you won't get a reply for another twelve hours because when I'm when it's daytime in France, it's 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 the opposite in Perth. 
So, you know, and, and friends would be the same when the, the first message would be, hey, Lee, are you back in Perth yet? Um, I'm like, that, that's usually one of the messages. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I won't be back for another couple of weeks, you know. So around that time, I was, you know, things were building up where it was just getting quite lonely. The only friends I had were the organizers and stuff like that. Um, you know, once I get on to the, do the show and then um, finish the show and then I'll get ready to pack my bags and off to the next city. So at that breaking point in Paris is when I sat down, I was like, man, like, you know, I really want to go back to Perth and, and just remain close to family. So even though there were times when I was living the, in the high of my life, um, it's, you know, the back scenes, it seems it was the lowest of my life as well. So yeah, simply I, I just missed having family dinner um, at the table at, you know, 6.30 every day, um, you know, the whole family's at the table at, together and having dinner together. And I think that's one of the most things that I missed out on. And so I said, um, you know, after all this um, tour's finished, I'm just going to head back home and, and uh, you know, try and find something that where I'll re remain in Perth. And that's how this cafe popped up. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, going from working in an office job and then DJing globally to opening a cafe selling barn me, it's, it's a pretty wild ride. What, what was it like trying to find a venue and sort of dive into an industry that you hadn't really been in? It's, um, it can be, it's a bit scary at the start. Um, you know, when, after I took a break from the nine to five job, um, you know, when you wake up every day and you struggle to get out of bed, not wanting to go to work is because you don't really enjoy your work. And, and that's not, you know, to me, um, that wasn't my happy life. And I had to dig deep to find what actually makes me happy. And I remember during uni days, I would work in a cafe and I really enjoyed it. One thing is because you, you meet really awesome people on a regular, so you just have little like conversations in between. But at the same time, when you're in the rush, the busy rush creates a time where you just forget about the time. It just flies by so quickly. So even though the work seems like you've only been doing for 30 minutes, um, you, you look back at the time, you realize it's been five hours, has flown by so quickly. Whereas, you know, vice versa on an office when um, I was sitting at the office, um, I remember looking at the clock, it was um, 11.20 and I'm doing so much work and I'm smashing it all out and doing this and I'm like, yeah, I've got so much work done. It must be almost home time. And I look back at the clock and it's only seven minutes, seven minutes has gone past. So, so um, yeah, that's when, that's when it um, kind of kicked in. And I was like, I really need to, you know, get into something that I really enjoy and, and you know, Nowadays, like I realize looking back, um, even though we're coming up to eight years, um, I still love waking up, you know, getting out of bed, getting into the cafe, getting all pumped. And I think passion really drives behind the scene of, of to make a business really succeed. Building a business that has succeeded like yours, yours is, is pretty tough work. Well, take us back to the early days. How did you go about finding a venue, creating a menu and creating these recipes? So, so finding venue was um, was by chance. Um, I remember coming back to Perth, and I, you know, after the whole travelling, I found a venue within about maybe four weeks. It was just by luck. Um, you know, the venue I wanted to be, you know, on a within the city to have some sort of um, exposed to a lot of food traffic as well, because that's what I I feared. Because you know, being in the middle of nowhere, you could be 
a bit scary where there's no full traffic, so you get you know less customers than that. So I was by very lucky to find a spot that that popped up for sale at the right time. And then um, so once I got into that, uh, you know, writing down the menu, like um, making sure like what needs to be in, what needs to be out, and what's going to work in that. And at the start, you have no idea what you're what you're doing. Um, and there was a lot of test trials and trials and errors and stuff like that before we opened. And and once we opened, um, you know, what you tested, you know, it, it was just by luck that, that things seemed to work out. And there are, you know, certain things that, that we put on the menu that wasn't selling very well, so we took it off the menu. And, you know, if we took things off the menu, another th the same thing on the other menu would just boost in sales. So it was a, a lot of trials and errors and stuff like that and and next thing you know it's um you know even now i'm still trialing in error and it's just like an ongoing basis like things are unpredictable nowadays you know what's been some of the real successes is there a couple of barn made that you can tell us about that you've created that um you know sort of epitomize your celebration of a barn made? so i'd say there'll be oh let's let's go there'll be three that i can break it down with Okay, so the first one is the ultimate. Our number one top seller is the original three meat combination. So this is the one that I, I learned back in Paris. It's got the French pate. Um, it's got the different cold cuts of pork. It's got the slice of pork belly, the Vietnamese ham, the Vietnamese nem in there as well. So there's, you know, three different textures of pork in that one. And they all have a different um, extinctive taste from each other, like one's got a nice sweet charred taste, uh, one's got a nice fatty pork belly with a star anise, and then the other one is the garlicky uh, Vietnamese ham in that one. And, you know, topped it off with the eggy butter mayo that we churn, so we churn our own butter as well, as well as um, bake, bake our own bread. So that's all in the, so the bread is supposed to be airy and fluffy on the inside and crispy on the outside, and that's the traditional way of having a banh mi. Uh, we do our own pickling as well, so it's a four-week pickle, and it's, you know, traditionally it's done four weeks, so it's left there to pickle on it in its own juices, and, you know, I find that that's one thing that was lacking in Perth, is that a lot of places just only pickle for a couple of hours, and then they're ready to go for the day, whereas, you know, we learned the traditional way of pickling it right, and, and it balances out, you know, you've got the sweetness from the carrot, but the crunch, and then the zanginess, you know, top it up with the fresh cucumbers, the coriander, and, you know, if you really want to amp it up a little, just put bits of um, pieces of chili in there. And, and it's, there's a lot of things happening in one bite. And that's, that's my, my one that I tend to, you know, really love to, um, I wouldn't say boast about, but I really love, I put a lot of pride in that one. It's, it's got us quite far with a lot of write-ups in uh, feature articles and stuff like that on that one. So that's that one. Um, the second one that was recently featured in the Qantas magazine was our crispy roast pork. So I, I brought this one to another level. So we roast our own roast pork, but also what I've done is um, I, I, dis I take off the skin of the pork and then I air, like, let it to air dry overnight and then I cut it into small pieces and then I'll deep fry it. So it becomes like a, almost like an airy chicharron so that one is that um, when customers eat it, like, you know, they, they take it away, they eat it three or four laters, it's bound to be nice and crispy and airy and still, like, got that crunchy, porky taste to it. 
Um, because last thing, you know, one of the things that we, um, we experimented from the very beginning is that if you just do it the normal traditional way, um, you know, the pork crackles can get rubbery, get a bit chewy, um, you know, when customers take away and, and have it like, you know, a few, few hours later. Pork crackle is a very, um, it's a very, how do I say, is, uh, it can be a very 50-50 uh, on point things where if you have a nice crispy crunch, but then, you know, in 10 minutes later, it might go down to a bit of a, a floppy, soggy, rubbery texture as well. So we did it in a way where it made it next level and it got us, a, you know, a really cool mention in the Qantas magazine. So I was pretty proud of that. And then the last one is uh, one of my all-time favorites would be uh, the lamb shank. So I love, uh, yeah, I love, I love eating lamb shanks on its own, um, you know, especially when it falls off the bone. Uh, and this one I learned back in Barcelona. Um, so I've cooked it in a way where it's confit uh, with a garlic, garlic butter, let it roast for 12 hours straight, and then um, it just falls off the bone. And then I'll put a nice salsa on top, um, like a chimichurri. And that one is by far one of our biggest sellers as well. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, the business has been going for about eight years now. What sort of impact has it had on the community? Do you have any sort of um, customer feedback stories that you can share? Yeah, we've um, we've got a decent clientele with our with our buy me. So we we on an average we get about maybe five hundred to five fifty people through the doors each day. Um, yeah, there's been you know there's been times where we'll we'll shoot up to um, seven hundred. In a, in a day, the, our record is uh, 1,100, just over 1,100. And that's when we were featured on TV of some sort over the weekend. And, you know, it does get pretty full on. Like, even we open the doors at 10 a.m. And, you know, there will be times where the queue is already cooing before we open. So it's um, it's pretty cool that, you know, the, the clientele here that we've got is is phenomenal. Like, the the... the Perth locals have supported us so much from where we are today, especially the Vietnamese community. They are our bread and butter. They they supported us from day one and have told their friends and told their friends and it's just built up where they've just come in and everyone that comes through, we've treated them like family. Like I, I'm, I'm usually at the front counter, so I tend to take on everyone's orders, but at the same time, you know, you recognize a lot of regulars, so you kind of know what they're going to order already. And uh, we've got a full team here that will churn up the the banh mi's within minutes. So it's all, all made fresh to order. Um, the turnaround times very, very quickly and, uh, and the line moves very quickly. So it's really awesome that, you know, the clientele here has pulled us through post-COVID and, and, you know, during lockdown and stuff like that as well. So we're very fortunate to have stuff like that. You mentioned um, how much you missed your family and that was one of the triggers to come back to Perth and, and also sort of banh mi and the role of food you know, in your family when you were young? What, what does your family think of what you've created? <laughs> they're, they're very proud at, at what I've done. Um, it's, it's really crazy that they're one of the first believers of, um, you know, of believing in me to do what I wanted to do out of my comfort zone. You know, a lot of, um, you know, it's been stereotyped that a lot of um, Vietnamese and Asian um, parents are always wanting their kids to, you know, become a doctor and become a lawyer, and you know, and I just happened to become a, a DJ, and then and then just jumped into another zone of um, hospitality, which is, you know, and and without them believing in me, that was that was um, the 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 ultimate push. So there, and the, you know, like you know, 
when before all this happened, they, um, you know, no one knew where it, it would take off, you know, whether it was going to succeed. And the last thing you want is for it to fail. Like, that's the worst thing that um, for any business to open and, and not work out. And, and, but, you know, we've been very fortunate to keep pushing and, and make it work. And, and, you know, I remember even starting and a lot of my old generation um, parents' friends were, you know, when we were telling the idea, oh, we're going to just open Bun Me and just purely just open Bun Me only, a lot of the old generations thought I was um, a bit crazy. <laughs> they, they said, you, you're not going to survive because no one has ever, like, you know, just opened just a purely Bun Me store only. A lot of places where they open, they'll, they'll sell, like, a thousand, a thousand things under the sun. They'll sell Bun Me, they'll sell burgers, hot dogs, sushi, noodles, rice, and then sandwiches and whatever in, into one spot. And they, they, they think that that's the, the model to survive because if somebody comes in and doesn't want to buy me, at least they've got a hot dog, at least they've got chips, at least they've got sushi. But um, they thought I was pretty crazy to just go in, um, and very brave to just go full on, um, have a menu of just purely just bun me only. And, um, and yeah, so now they're, uh, the same people are asking me for recipes on how to make bun me as well. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> Western Australia's had a relatively different experience of COVID to the vast majority of Australia. But what's it been like for you and, and your business? Oh, it's um, it's been okay. We've you know we've went through a two month lockdown um through the first COVID, and um and during that time I took advantage to stay home. You know, spend a lot of time in the kitchen just mucking around because. You know, when you wake up, you have pretty much have nothing to do besides TV and just cooking as well. So um, yeah, did a lot of experiment, um, took some time off, and and as the as the city got safer, um, that's when we decided to reopen, and and we didn't know whether it was going to be busy or not. And at first, it was ghost town. The city was like barely had anyone because a lot of officers were pushed to work from home. But then as we start to let people know that we are open, people made their way out of their homes, come and drive into the city to grab a couple of bunmies and grab even more um, through the support. They Rather than just getting one or two, they, they bought like, you know, five to eight bunmies for their family, for their neighbors and stuff. One is purely for support. Um, and, and secondly, because um, that, that relationship that we've got with the customers, they, they kind of, you know, want to see businesses survive. So they kind of, you know, put their intake in and it's kind of helped us grow. And then, and as they introduce their neighbors and their friends to buy me, and then if they get blown away, they'll be like, oh, where'd you get this from? I had definitely have to come down and share it with my friends. And that, that circle builds even bigger. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and we've been very fortunate of that. I think it's because we've been here for quite some time. So that clientele has been um, pretty, pretty decent. Whereas, you know, I've seen a lot of, businesses that open around near COVID time and and they haven't reopened since, which is uh, very unfortunate. Has the creation of this uh, amazing business um, changed you? Um, I think it's, to me, honestly, I don't think it's changed me at all. I think I've just become more humbler than I have ever been. Like, you know, regardless of how much success or how much write-offs we get, like, you know, people still see me as a, and I want them to see me as a regular guy where I just, you know, work harder than the employees here as well. Um, and, and I still 
you know, treat this as my, my first week of opening and uh, still like making sure everything is done perfectly. Uh, I, I think it has probably not changed me as a person, but probably made me wiser in making more decisions for the business itself. So um, maybe maybe um, throughout the eight years, maybe I've been um, a bit smarter. But for myself as a person, I don't think it's changed me. I'm still, you know, the same guy where um, I just wear, you know, your your four dollar t-shirts. I'm still like, you know, if you see me on the street, you probably think I'm just uh, like a, a hobo that um, that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really wear much name brands or anything like that. So you don't, um, yeah, I don't think it hasn't um, changed me much at all. <laughs> what do you love about what you do? Oh, I think what I love is um, meeting regulars and new faces on a regular basis. So, you know, the people that come in, you know, it's, it's firstly overwhelming that, that they come through in the first place for your ban me. So, you know, a lot of people do travel quite a distance just to come here. And, and you know, and for regulars, just catching up with them like as a, as a friend or family, like, um, you know, whether they've had a child recently or they've had a birthday over the weekend and you're getting an idea of what they do and then remembering the convo that you had until the next visit. And that's what blows people away as well. Uh, you wouldn't believe how many people I remember the names and orders and stuff like that. And whether it's been months or years that I come through and I, I still somehow I can remember the names and orders uh, and they get blown away by that. <laughs> so that, that's one of the things that I love about the front side, but the back side is um, I love the flexibility in, in the menu. So we've got about 30 different types of banh mi's to choose from on a daily basis. And uh, the, the menu is always changing on a, you know, we depends on, on what's seasonal, what's available. Sometimes in the daytime, um, I'll get a call from one of our suppliers and go, hey, we've got some, um, you know, we've got some lamb shanks on, on special today um, and I got it freshly in. Do you want to grab some in? And, you know, I'll order a hundred of those straight in and I'll get that within, you know, a few hours. And uh, I'll, once we close the doors, I will stay behind for a bit and prep it, um, we'll prep it all up and get it all ready for the, the next day. And, and uh, what I love about it is that, you know, I get to be creative and express my, my passion and express my, what I've learned over the years and over the world and put into one plate for, for the customers. So even one by me that, that might be, you know, takes three minutes to put together, uh, it's probably maybe about, you know, up to a week of pr preparation just to get that stage. Uh, there's been times where I, I create, like, you know, your vegan mock meats and stuff like that where I do it all in-house. And, it, you know, it takes about a week to prepare. So, you, you know, there's, there's a process where you've got to freeze it. Then the next day you've got to defrost it, squeeze out all the all the water, and then you've got to freeze it again. You've got to do it about three times. And that takes up to a week. And then once the final product comes out, it becomes such a real realistic meaty texture that – even meat eaters were, were saying, uh, I think you gave me the meat one. And I'm like, no, no, that's 100% vegan. I just made it into like a very full-on textured meat. And it, it scares vegans away, but they love it as well. You know? <laughs> so, and I think that in the, in the old terms is um, the, the creativeness that I get to experience behind the scenes is, is one of the things I truly, truly love and excited about the business because I can take it to another level um, and push it to another level and, and blow customers away. And when they get blown away and they tell me their feedback, they go, man, that one that I had the other day was by far the best that I've had in, and so on and so on. And then it, it makes everything so satisfying. 
Well, what you've created over there in the West is extraordinary and uh, it's been an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a bit of your story. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.